You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Thursday show for you. We've got a record-setting performance by the Denver Nuggets yesterday in Game 3 of the NBA Finals as they take a 2-1 lead. Two records set in that game. I've got more thoughts on the Live Tour. I've got more baseball for you and some college softball as the Oklahoma dominance continues. We'll get to all that momentarily. All right, so Denver with a fairly easy Game 3 win, 109-94 over the Heat. They led pretty much the whole game. And basically, this came down to they shot the ball a hell of a lot better than Miami did. And this is the thing with Miami. They have these games where they don't shoot well, and when they don't, they lose, and usually lose by double digits. They shot 37% from the field last night, 34 of 92. Denver shot 51%. They shot 12 less shots than Miami, but also made seven more. So they shot 51% from the field. Denver only hit five threes and won by 15. Miami, 11 of 35, barely over 30% for the game. Pretty much everything else, well, Denver dominated on the boards, and that was a direct response to head coach Michael Ballone after game two saying, I can't believe how poorly we played. This is the NBA Finals, and we're giving that type of effort. And then they come out and out-rebound Miami by 25, 58 to 33. Had eight more assists. Miami only had four turnovers and lost by 15. But when you shoot 37% from the field, you're not going to win any NBA Final game, really. So many records and interesting things set in this game. Number one, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray the only teammates to have 25, at least 25 points and 10 assists in an NBA Finals game. Jokic and Murray did it last night. The only two to ever do that before them were Magic and James Worthy in 1987 for the Lakers. Also, Nuggets. In a 1-1 series in the NBA Finals, the team that wins Game 3 has won the title 80% of the time. Here's a gambling statistic that I know you're going to love. The last 75 times in the NBA Finals with a line of minus six or less, the winner has won every game against the spread since 2007. 73-0-2. 75 games now. The straight-up winner has won the game against the spread in the NBA Finals since 2007 when the line is minus six or less, which it will be again in Game 4. So pick your winner in that one. 73-0-2. You know what other record the Denver Nuggets set last night? I said that Jokic and Murray were the only other teammates besides Magic and Worthy to have 25-10 and 10 in an NBA Finals game. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray both had 30-point triple-doubles. Jokic and Murray are the first teammates in NBA history in any game ever, regular season or postseason, with 30-point triple-doubles in the same game. Think about that. Every game in NBA history, there's never been teammates that got a 30-point triple-double because both had over 30 points or both had 30 or more. I'm sure we've had teammates that both got a triple-double in the same game, but never a 30-point triple-double in the same game. Regular season 
or NBA Finals or any postseason game. That is nuts to think that that's never happened before. But it did. And, you know, last night, again, you just can't take there's, – there's no momentum. You can't take what happened the game before and say that's going to repeat the next game. Denver looked dominant last night. Like you're watching the game going, oh, my gosh, they're once again, they're too big for Miami. How is Miami going to stop them? Denver's doing whatever they want. And then watch Miami win game four. And then you're like, wow, <laughs> didn't see that coming. It's like I, I've said it all postseason. Like we've got to stop talking about what happened the game before to determine our feelings towards what's going to happen the next game. None of us know. Every pundit will say Denver's going to run away with the series now. They might still win the series, but let's not pretend like after game two you weren't saying, man, Denver's in trouble, because some of them were. They were in trouble for what, one game? And now they've already gotten the series back and swiped back home court advantage. So it's one of these things where you just have to sit back and watch. Look, I know we're all sports commentators here, and we're supposed to give our opinions, but it's one thing to give your feelings, your leanings, it's just the guys that are the talking heads on TV and, you know, these guys get paid millions and millions of dollars to give you opinions and what they think is going to happen in a game. And I guarantee you, if somebody sat there and watched every single show and wrote down all their opinions and all their predictions, those guys would be wrong 80% of the time and they're making 6 to $8 million a year. What other job can you be wrong 80% of the time? and continue to make that good of money, and continue to be employed. Very few. That might be the only job in America. So while I get to be an interesting host, to be an interesting podcaster, to be an interesting TV talking head, you got to have these, you know, real hot takes, and you got to, look, just lay it out there for the audience, and then let them decide. Because you sitting there and making a whole case for one team and that team loses and you don't have any repercussions your way, it's like, okay, then great. What's what's the point? If you're constantly wrong and you're wrong way more than you're right, doesn't really matter because you're not going to lose your job over it. And clearly, as a podcaster myself and being self-employed, I'm not going to lose this job. I could give you hard-ass predictions every single time, and I'd be wrong probably more than 50% of the time, if not 70 or 80% of the time. And I'm not getting fired, but I don't feel that's the way to go about doing a sports show. I really don't. I'll lay out things. I'll tell you, hey, if you're betting the game, the last 75 NBA Finals game with a line under six, all you got to do is pick the winner. The line has never come into play with a line under six the last 75 NBA Finals games since 2007. I lay that stuff out there for you, kind of give you a way to lean. It's not a guarantee. Nothing in this world is a guarantee. Nothing in the gambling world is ever a guarantee. But it is something to look at, and I'd say that's a pretty big statistic. But even with that statistic, going into game four, you don't know who's going to win the game. Because that's what the stat is. Just pick the winner. You have no idea who's going to win game four. I don't, you don't, nobody else does. But the talking heads will say, 
I don't think the talking heads after last night's game are going to say Miami is absolutely 100% winning game four. I don't think they come out and say that. They're going to be like, look how good Denver played last night. Look at how they responded to their coach calling them out for not giving effort, for not hustling. And they were pretty much up the whole game last night. Miami just never got in a rhythm. Miami shoots 37% from the field. This is the defense we want to see. And then Miami can easily come back out next game and have one of their games where they make 18 three-pointers and they win. And now it's a 2-2 series going back to Denver. And it's a best two of three. You know? I don't know what team's showing up on uh, – when's the game? Friday? I don't know what team's showing up on Friday for Denver or Miami. They could both play really good games and it come down to a last-second shot. Miami could come out and hit 19, 23 pointers and win by double digits. Denver could come out and play the same exact game they played ten, last night and all of a sudden take a 3-1 lead. We don't know. So for someone to sit there and say they know who's showing up on Friday night, they know who's going to shoot well, I can probably say that I don't think Denver's going to out-rebound them by 25 again. As big as they are, I think Miami will go back to the drawing board, see what Denver did this game. Do I think Christian Brown is going to shoot 7 of 8 from the field again? Probably not. But he was a key contributor a guy that really wasn't a contributor in games one and two. This is what the NBA Finals does. Takes one guy to get hot. Duncan Robinson, game two. Hadn't really done anything in game one. Missed a lot of shots. Game two, he scores the first ten points of the fourth quarter, just out of nowhere. So that's what I mean. You just have unsung heroes all the time in the NBA playoffs and the NBA Finals. We just don't know what's going to happen. So you got to take that into consideration and I think going into game four, your guess is as good as mine. So moving on back to golf from yesterday's big story, uh, PGA Tour and the Live Tour merging. Rory McIlroy spoke for the first time, the sacrificial lamb that he likes to call himself, which he was, the way Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, did him dirty. Rory's quotes were really interesting yesterday. He said, I still hate Live. Like, I hate Live. I hope it goes away, and I would fully expect that it does. I think that's where the distinction here is. This is the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and the PIF. Very different than live. And he said, it's hard for me not to sit up here and feel somewhat like a sacrificial lamb and feeling like I put myself out there, and this is what happens, which is what he did. But yet he says also he does have confidence in Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner. He said, look, I've dealt with Jay a lot closer than a lot of these guys have, from where we were a couple weeks ago to where we are today, I think the future of the PGA Tour looks brighter as a whole, as an entity. He thinks there should be consequences, <laughs> consequences, consequences to the actions of the players who bolted the PGA Tour and went to the Live Tour. He said, there still has to be consequences to their actions. The people that left the PGA Tour irreparably harmed this tour, started litigation against it. Like, we can't just welcome them back in. That's not going to happen. Well... I think it's going to happen. The whole point of merging the two tours is we don't have two tours anymore. We have one. So everyone that was on the live tour is going to be able to come back to the PGA tour. How, why that's all got to be worked out, but I don't think it's going to be very hard. It's not like they're going to send Brooks Kepka to Q school to try and get back on the PGA tour. The guy's a major winner, five-time major winner. I'm not going to send 
Bryson DeChambeau back to Q school. They're not going to send Dustin Johnson to the Corn Ferry Tour and be like, you got to earn your way back. No. I don't know what they're going to do, but for Rory to say, like, we can't just welcome them back in, that's not going to happen, uh, I think it's going to happen. It's going to be a, probably a fairly seamless way to invite them back in. And there, like I said yesterday, there's still so many things that have to be done. The deal hasn't even been signed yet. It definitely looks like it's going to go through. But Rory saying, you know, I, I hate the live tour. I hope it goes away. Yeah, I got to believe it does because what's the point of having a live tour? The whole point was we need to merge so we don't have this tension between two different tours going on. So I definitely think live is going away. But this thought process that maybe the live brings over some of their ideas and these team events that they do on the live tour. Um, Oh boy. I, I don't know if I like that. I didn't like it on the live tour. I thought it was corny. I don't want to see teams of four playing and then we got to determine, you know, who's the solo winner versus the team winner. I just think that's, I, I don't know. But if the PIF, PIF, which is the public investment fund out of Saudi Arabia, if they're basically buying a golf league, which is the, what they're doing here, as I mentioned yesterday, it just looks like this is going to be such a money grab. And while some of these PGA Tour players are not happy with what Jay Monahan did and had them calling out the live players for leaving and taking blood money, and now they're taking the same money because the public investment fund out of Saudi Arabia is basically going to fund the PGA Tour now, like, unless somebody else comes along and starts their own tour again and allows these guys to leave, what else are they going to do? Quit golf? No, they're going to keep playing. And the money that they get, I guarantee, is going to multiply by quite a few hundred millions of dollars. I just look at it this way, and we won't know until the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and we finally get some resolution as to, okay, okay, what does it mean that they're merging? But if Live Golf's whole agenda throughout all of this was to get what they got, which was we want to own part of the PGA Tour. We might have to do it by stealing some of their players and then get them pissed off and have them you know, join forces with us. It looks like they won. So the Saudi Arabians won here because now they are funding the PGA Tour. But when they split off and did the Live Tour, they were just pillaging their players and giving them hundreds of million dollars just in appearance fees to show up and join the tour, to leave the PGA and say, here, here's $200 million, come play on our tour. You'll play less events a year, you'll only have three-day tournaments, and it'll be a lot more fun. Granted, nobody will fucking watch you play. Nobody will come out and watch you play on the course or on TV because we don't even have a TV partner outside of the CW, but whatever. You're getting hundreds of million dollars. What do you care? Now, those players all going back to the PGA Tour it's like they had all this money. Every event on the Live Tour. Last year was their first year. They had eight events or ten events. It was either eight or ten. Every one of them had a minimum 
$25 million purse, which then made the PGA Tour up their game, and they had their selected 10 to 14 events in 2023 that were minimum $25 million purses. So Liv accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. And now that they don't have to give their money to their own tour and now they're going to the PGA, I mean, I got to believe these are going to be $50 million tournaments. You know, the winner of a of a major, I think you, I think, I don't know what the the highest paying major is, but I don't think you make more than $2.5 million. I have a feeling now the winners of major events on the PGA Tour, whether it's one of the four majors, whether it's, you know, the fifth championship, which is uh, the Players' Championship, uh, with which people call the fifth major, I have a feeling the winner of those tournaments are going to get ten to $15 million. Because now everyone's going to be back on the same tour. And then, well, how stupid would you have to be? I mean, I guess if another gazillionaire decides to be like, well, and it worked once with the Live Tour and we got some people to leave, let's do it again and let's try and get some others to leave, I guess it could happen. But I think what the PGA Tour now is going to do is lock up some of their players and just be like, look, we don't want this to ever happen again. We want to keep everybody here, and here's a contract. You you know, Jordan Spieth, we want to sign you to a 10-year deal to stay on the PGA Tour, and that'll be their kind of thank you for sticking by the PGA Tour when those other guys were bolting and for more money when Jordan Spieth, every, every top player in – the PGA Tour could have left to go to Live Tour for hundreds of million dollars, but they stayed because they wanted to remain loyal to the tour. And now the tour sides with the team that decided to start pillaging players from them. So there still has to be some egos that are mended, some friendships that may have to take a while to get back to what they were. But I think when it's all said and done, and we look at five or 10 years down the line, the PGA Tour will be in great shape. It's going to be funded by gazillionaires that are going to throw so much money at these tournaments. You might want to start getting your kids into golf instead of football, basketball, and baseball, which is a lot harder to become a pro in than golf. Not saying it's easy to become a pro golfer, not at all. But I think that you can probably that just put your kids in golf is what I'm saying. Because I have a feeling in 10 or 15 years, even five, uh, the purses of these tournaments is going to be so astronomical. Some baseball news, as I brought up yesterday and over the last few days, the Texas Rangers with their record 40 and 20 through 60 games, second best record in all of baseball, best run differential by 30 runs over the Tampa Bay Rays. Of course, last night, then they, they put up a zero and lose one nothing. But through the first 60 games of the season, the Rangers had scored 386 runs. That's tied for third most through 60 games in Major League Baseball history. So, of course, they come out and drop a stinker last night and get, and get, and get blanked and lose one nothing to the Cardinals. But the other big thing in baseball yesterday, the Oakland A's have now won two games in a row, including yesterday winning a day game. Did you know that the Oakland A's were 0-23 in the day games this year? They had not won a day game all year. And then last night, or yesterday, boom, they beat the Pirates in Pittsburgh. And now the Oakland A's have a two-game winning streak. They are now 14-50. and 50. 
Oh boy, watch out. They're playing 219 baseball. Hey, at least they're consistent. 7 and 24 at home, 7 and 26 on the road. 230 runs scored overall, 430 runs given up. So they are exactly a minus 200 in run differential. Second worst run differential, the Royals at minus 88. So congratulations to the Oakland A's, soon to be Las Vegas A's, as they racked up their second victory in a row, beating the Pirates yesterday. How about that? Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Send this along to your friends. Let them know all about it. If you're interested in reality TV stuff, my daily roundup is up. And an hour from now, I'm talking to Mark Wahlberg. Not Marky Mark. No, Mark Wahlberg, the host of Temptation Island, which starts next Wednesday at 9, 8 central on the USA Network. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.